Welcome everybody to a Monday edition of Texans All Access on Draft Week. Yes, finally we are here. Okay, I know what you're going to say. Thursday night, no picks. So what? Enjoy the draft. There are eight picks. As of now, the Texans are going to make Nick Serio in his first draft as general manager for the Texans. Looking forward to that. And we've got plenty for you tonight. Wade Smith, who was once a draft pick, I believe, of the Miami Dolphins, will join DPC and talk about a number of things. Talk about draft prep back when uh, he was doing it, the 2011 offensive line, James Campany, offensive line coach. There'll be some great stuff in our deep slant interview of the week with Wade Smith. Can't wait to hear that with DPC. We will also go around the league, but we're going to start the show off with the man, the myth, the voice of the Texans. Mark Vandermeer. Mark, good evening. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. You know, I'm at the uh, Houston Sports Awards tonight at Carlton Woods, and uh, it's going to be great here. As we all know, Bob McNair is already in the Hall of Fame, the Houston Sports Hall of Fame, and Andre Johnson goes in tonight, among others. So this is a great event uh, for that. And also, I played in the Brothers in Arms Golf Tournament up here today. Andre Ware, Vince Young, and Warren Moon host that. And it was really cool. Just great to see everybody out here. So uh, everybody's asking about, like, who are they going to get? You know, you always get that question when they have a first-round pick. Who are they going to get? Well, they don't have a first-round pick. You know, they've got a third-round pick, and they're still asking me. I'm saying, well, 67, it's a little hard to predict. Although, as you often do, I have done my best to predict the picks. Yes, you have. Man, my invitations must have gotten lost in the mail on those events. But uh, either way, I mean, I got radio to do tonight, so... Um, what are you going to do? Okay. Vandermock 2.0 hit the interwebs somewhere between this morning and last night. I happened to stumble upon it and I was like, I'm going to wait. And I was like, no, I, I should look. And so I have already looked at your picks and I'm going to give you an opportunity to defend every single one of them before I have anything to say about it. So Vandermark 2.0. I don't remember Vandermark 1.0. I think, I mean, I do, but I don't. So we'll just move <laughs> on. He does. We'll move on to 2.0, round three, number 67. Now I'm assuming you don't have the overall numbers here, number 67. So I'm assuming you're thinking the Texans will stay right here and yeah. take from the University of Miami, Quincy Roche. Now, uh one thing he is a hurricane kinda he finished with the hurricanes but he's mainly a temple owl does that change your perception of quincy roche in round three no it doesn't because temple became a much better program i think al golden's the one who really turned them around of course and didn't 100 years ago but i think that uh when you look at his history here johnny he was really good getting to the quarterback at temple not quite as good at Miami, but he still had 14 and a half TFLs for the Hurricanes. And friends of mine there describe him as a professional pass rusher. So he's not quite a 4-3 end, but he's a situational guy. Johnny, it's the third round already. This is where we start. You have to get it after the quarterback. I think it's a pretty solid pick. I've seen him in mocks, not that this means anything, higher and lower. So we'll see. But if you really liked him, not a bad place to take it. No doubt. And I would be very happy with Quincy Roche in round three, number 67. I have him just a shade outside 
the Harris 100, which I'm trying to pull up right now. I don't exactly remember where I have him. There will be one knock on Quincy Roche. I mean, you mentioned one. He is he's not the um, he's not the he's not the biggest guy. He wouldn't seemingly fit a four three. And what I've realized in my Harris 100 is I've sort of I've got him at 115. I have kind of gone about the Harris 100 with the Texans in mind. And so Roche fits to me a little bit more three for outside linebacker, but, and you already mentioned that, but the one thing about Roche is he's got a skill set as a pass rusher. Like he is not the most athletic guy in the world, but he's the guy with the handles. You know, he's the guy that can shake you out on the the basketball court and just make you miss, you know, he's not going to be the high flyer going dunking on everybody's head, you know, but he's going to go between the legs, make you miss a little bit, step back, hit an elbow jumper. You know, he does the pass rush things very, very well. Hands, I mean, are exceptional. So when they tell you he's a professional pass rusher, that's what they're telling you is he is very, very skilled when it comes to the the art of pass rushing. And I think that's going to be why he ends up going in, in round three. I do think he goes in round three. Um, I've got him as a three, four, but I think with his pass rush ability, He'll get overshadowed by the two athletes that they have there, Russo and and uh, Jalen Phillips. But as a pass rusher, that's what this guy is. Um, and so I think round three, nice job. Number round four, the man who threw the cleat heard round the world, Florida cornerback Marco Wilson, Vandermock 2.0 originator. Explain why you go Wilson here in round four. Well, Johnny, uh, look, he, he <laughs> your hurricane. Thing. Hold on, your hurricane. I know, kicking I know. a gator that stings. That still stings. They're going to get very mad at me for this. They hate the gators more than anybody. We've been over this. The hurricanes yeah. hate the gator. And by the way, I saw Jimbo Fisher today. Yeah. And I said, I hate you for Florida State. No, I didn't really say that, but I felt <laughs> like saying that. And so he's there. And I saw Travis Johnson today, of course, because Travis Johnson's our guy, right? Yeah. But um, I, I really think that when you look at the way he prepared for this draft and he is dedicated to becoming a very good NFL corner, he's going to slip for various reasons. Mm-hmm. But I believe that he's going to be able to play and be good and, um, and make a team happy. It's round four. See, that's the thing. I'm not taking all these guys in the first round. We're deep in the draft when we start picking. So you got to really, you know, you got to take all of that into consideration here and, um, you know, and, and make the best selection possible. What are your thoughts on him, Johnny? He was a guy that I've had my eye for a little while. First of all, you're actually okay in the hurricane world because his dad is Earl Wilson, who played uh, at, the, at the U um, for Miami back in the early 90s uh, before you got there. Earl Wilson played and was a pretty good player. His son, Quincy Wilson, was drafted in the second round by the Indianapolis Colts a few years ago in 2017. This is Marco, the younger brother, who is an exceptional athlete. His pro day numbers are off the charts. He has got some technique work to clean up. However, I love this pick in round four. I love it. I've got him at number 90 in the Harris 100. He's in version two. When I was watching the SEC championship game and I'm watching, I'm like, man, nobody's really talking about Marco Wilson. That's, that seems wrong. It's not 
all the way there yet. I, the, the whole cleat throw thing, you get caught up in emotion, things happen. I don't even worry about that. Marco Wilson can play, and I get him at pick number 109. I am all about it. Okay, so you pick the Hurricane, you pick the Gator, we get to round three, and you pick a Longhorn. Explain. Right. Well, it's really round five, right? It's our right. third round, but it's round five. It's Caden Stern, safety from Texas. And look, I'm not doing this for clicks. I think so. Uh, no, I'm not doing this for clicks. But he's got size, speed. He can tackle, okay? His freshman year was unbelievable. You know that. Yep. You know, got a little banged up. I think COVID is weird for this draft. It derailed everybody. It makes you reexamine your life, your priorities, your paradigms change. Certain guys handled it better than others. Certain guys handled it differently than others this last season, right? I think right. he's ready. And I think if he's there around five, I'm taking him. I mean, again, size, speed, tackling ability. Like, you know, you read these things like, well, with the deep ball occasionally, look, every safety with the deep ball occasionally. Otherwise, there would be no football, okay? You know, if every safety was a shutdown safety in the fifth and sixth round, uh, let's not have a passing game. This is just <laughs> part of the developmental process. No, I'm serious. Like, you can get crazy with knocks on draft choices, but you're going to have to take chances here. You're going to have to take chances on potential. And who is going to put in the work, Johnny? We talk about this with first-rounders. Who's going to put in the work to get better? And if you're not, you're not going to be good whether you're totally talented first-rounder or somebody with some potential in the fifth round on down. So I like him. I called one of – it was not – it was the final game of his sophomore year of high school. In 2015, he's at Cibolo Steel, and they played Katie in a, in a playoff game. And I got asked to do the, the sidelines for that game. And I remember being down on the field and standing next to him, and I was like, dude, he was like 6'1", but lanky. And then he just comes up just laying the wood on people, and I'm like, whoa. And I was like, stern, seven, remember. Well, then as a freshman at Texas, I'm watching thinking, Wow. He did not develop from that point forward. Now, the University of Texas, we, we've seen that with some players over the years. I don't know if it was in his best interest to go to the pros, but he's got NFL ability. There's no question in that. So from that standpoint in round five, I'm with you. If you take him at 67, we might have had words. But at round five, uh, I'm, I'm okay with Caden Stearns because I think he's a guy, as long as he comes to Houston – and puts his head down and works and gets back to that level that he was when he was a freshman, and then it takes off from there, I think Caden Stearns can play in this league. But he's got to get to that point. All right, let's get to your next pick in round five because now I'm going to tell everybody what a great drafter you are because you picked the Tennessee volunteer wide receiver in round five by the name of Josh Palmer. Yeah, Josh Palmer. All right, so you look at the production at Tennessee. Look, he didn't. He, he's not all world at Tennessee, but when it comes to the quarterback position, they have less stability than a Kardashian marriage. All right, it's Tennessee. It's always tough there to get the right signal caller in place and be consistent. They haven't had it since the '90s, and I know he runs a four-five, but that's not bad. You know, everybody wants a four-four or below, but. This is where you are obligated by federal law to remind everybody that Jerry Rice and Anquan Bolden ran a 4-7, <laughs> right? That is true. Right. And his dad, Keith, played in the CFL, and I love this. You know I love the whole CFL thing, and dad played professional ball in the CFL, and I imagine he's at the dinner table saying, 
In my league, we only had three downs. Only three. <laughs> What's your excuse? So, anyway, I love this. I like Josh Palmer. This is one of my favorite receivers in the draft. This right here, Josh Palmer, is one of my favorites. And I'll be honest, I did not watch much Tennessee football because they weren't very good last year in 2020 at all. And so I didn't, I didn't watch much. I knew of him. Went to the Senior Bowl, and he is tearing guys up in one-on-ones. And I'm like, yo, I got to go back, and I got to look at Josh Palmer. So I went back at a couple of games. I watched him. I watched him against all the good Georgia corners. I'm like, he beat that guy. He's fighting through that guy for the football. That guy can't get it away from him. That guy can't tackle him. I'm like, man, this guy is good. I actually have him in the Harris 100 because I think he is that good. Josh Palmer from Tennessee. That, my friends, is an excellent pick. Now, these next two picks, I think, are as good as anything that you have done. And if we get these two players in round six, Mark Vandermeer, mark my words right now. If these two players are on the roster, you, these, this is the call in round six. These two guys will be starters for this football team. Because in round six, you take it from Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard. In round six, the second round six pick you have from Grambling, guard David Moore. They will both be starters by the end of the football season, if they are drafted here in Houston, Mark, mark my words. Well, and Johnny, look, he won the John Cornish Award, Hubbard did, for best collegiate player from Canada. We've got back-to-back picks from Canada here. Yep. So the John Cornish Award, which I never heard of until I looked this up. And yeah, I he's imagine, a running back from Kansas. Right. If you're – well, yes, but if you're watching – all right, so if you're – Watching TV in Hamilton or Nova Scotia or Vancouver, do they have the Cornish watch list? I mean, are they like <laughs> monitoring on a weekly basis who's doing well in the college football circuit from Canada? But um, I like Hubbard a lot, 210, six feet. You know, you watch the tape. I mean, he looks really good from Oklahoma State. And then Dave Moore he hasn't played a ton of football, but look at the athleticism 6'2, 330. Johnny, I said low center of gravity. Sometimes the guards, you don't want them 6'5. You know, no, let, sometimes yeah. they're they're athletic. Maybe they can move around better. Like basketball, when I'm guarded by a smaller guy who's got that low center of gravity, he's just so he's just such a pest, you know. Yeah. And I think that sometimes guards, if they're athletic at that height, that's not a bad thing at all. You seemingly struggled in the three on three against 1560s big man, um, who was a shade <laughs> under six foot, um, because he had a low center of gravity, but. Dave Moore, David Moore out of Grambling. There's a term that, that I would use, and I can't say it on radio, um, but that dude's a brick house. I mean, he is a yeah. brick house. And the best rusher at the Senior Bowl and one of the top 50 picks in this draft is Carlos Boogie Basham from Wake Forest. And they were doing one-on-ones, and Basham tried to throw a spin move, and David Moore caught him, just literally caught him. And had him by the armpits, and Basham was facing the other direction. And it was the only guy that had blocked Basham basically all week. And Basham turned around like he wanted to fight. And David Moore was like, I don't think you should do that. Uh, he's a very soft-spoken, very intelligent guy, and just hard worker, and has arms like tree trunks. If I'm telling you, if those two guys are there in round six. And then round six, in the third pick, round six, this guy will not start. Ian Book, quarterback, Notre Dame, in round seven. Ray Lopez, defensive tackle, about 6'1", 304. And like you said, 
One of my favorite things is finding defensive tackles that are thick and shorter because they're very difficult to block, i.e. Earl Mitchell, i.e. Grady Jarrett, i.e. Aaron Donald. So if you're able to get anything out of those two guys, Ray Lopez, defensive tackler, on a seventh round, Ian Book, quarterback, Notre Dame in the sixth round, you've got to be feeling very, very good. Mark, you did one heck of a job. But it's time for our Deep Slant interview of the week, and that's with Wade Smith. That's next on Texans All Access. Welcome back, everybody. This is Monday edition of Texans All Access, a draft week edition. We are locked in. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, silent reporter, draft guru, whatever you want to call me. I am here on this Monday edition. Glad you're with me. It's time to go deep slant on all of you. My good friend, D.P. Sidhu, who I have missed dearly during this entire pandemic, she had an opportunity to catch up with one of our faves, Wade Smith, you hear him on 610. Uh, he's done great work with us on the draft over the years. And he was a Pro Bowl player here for your Houston Texans. And there's a lot of draft day memories, a lot of things that Wade can dive into. So we thought, man, let's get him on the week of the draft. This would be awesome. And DP said, sure, I'll do it. She did, and it's great stuff. Here's DP with Wade Smith. This week on the Deep Slant, presented by Xfinity, one-on-one, we've got Wade Smith, NFL veteran, pro bowler, former Texans offensive lineman, uh, now Texans legend. He's a legend in our minds and our hearts as well. Wade, it's always great to catch up with you, especially during what has been a really, really busy offseason for the Texans. Yeah, really, definitely a really busy offseason for, for the Texans. You, you look at the amount of moves that have been done by the Texans and by Nick Casario and his crew. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. I'm, I'm interested to see how all these guys shake out, but I'm really excited to see what they can bring to the table. You got a lot of veteran guys that are, you know, four, five, six years into their careers. So they've put some good film out there and, and now they're going to come in and, and compete for opportunities. And there's going to be, plenty of opportunities to go around. So I'm excited to see how things all uh, shake out when everything gets started uh, this upcoming season. Yeah, Justin Reed spoke with the media. He called it a hell of a turnover on defense. And you could really say that about the offense too. Offensive line, for instance, I think half the guys on the roster right now were just added this offseason during free agency. So when you sort of look at all the moves that Nick Casario has made, has anything really jumped out to you? Maybe a pattern of the sort of guys that he's, signing or any particular player that you're looking forward to seeing this year? Well, there's a few guys, there's a few moves that I, I thought that were made that I thought were pretty shrewd and I think going to pay huge dividends. I, I really love the trade for Marcus Cannon. I, I think what Marcus Cannon has done as a, as a right tackle in this league um, has been tremendous. And so what he's going to bring in with veteran leadership, a guy that's won multiple Super Bowls and that could still play at a high level, I think is going to help out the offensive line. Uh, tremendously the the actual signing of of James Campen as the offensive line coach I think the, the Texans got bat, better in that in that role now and and now he's got some more pieces that he's added to the puzzle Justin Britt um, McCoy they have a bunch of new guys new faces that are going to be there in the offensive line but I think that they'll have a, a great opportunity to, to get together in jail um, and then look, some of the moves with some of the special teams guys that they brought in I mean he's, he made trades for Shaq Lawson on defense but you look at, you know, on the special teams, a guy like Andre Roberts, who's been to multiple Pro Bowls as a returner. Um, that that pickup, I thought, was it, it was surprising to me that 
Um, you know, you were able to get Andre Roberts for what they were able to get him for, for and a guy that has been um, going to the Pro Bowl the past few years. And so now you bring him into the fold. And um, the Texans uh, uh, special teams have, have gotten better over the past few years, but I think they've added additional pieces to where it's going to even take a, another step forward. So I'm excited to see what a lot of these new faces uh, are, are able to do when they get their opportunities this year. All right, a, a lot to unpack there, Wade, in, in what you said. So let's start with James Campen because I, I know that a lot of people are really curious what a new offensive line coach brings to the table. You know, what are you expecting from him? You know, what are you most excited about? A new scheme, just seeing how these players fit in to the new scheme, how he coaches these guys up. I've noticed that everyone is listed as an offensive lineman. So you don't know who's going to be a tackle and who's going to be a guard. And, and we may see some moves on this starting five come week one. Um, when the Texans take the field. But but what are your expectations with, with Campen leading uh, this position group? Well, everything that I've heard from James Campen, because I never played for him, but everything I've heard of, about him from other players and other coaches in the league is that um, he's a heck of a coach. He's one of the top offensive line coaches in the league. And so when you have that pedigree, pedigree when you come into the building, I think guys respect that. And uh, I think he's he's brought in a couple of guys that, he's, that has played under him in years past. So it's good to have those type of guys in the room so that they can kind of bridge the gap for some of the people that have already been here in Houston. And, and then some of the guys that have come from other places and, and all joined together so you, they can learn sooner than later um, how he likes to get things done as far as the different techniques that they're going to do, the different uh, communication that they're going to use up front. Um, I, I just, I, I look at what he was able to do with Green Bay all of those years. And, and then the fact that he's played or he's coached under certain schemes that I'm, I'm excited about potentially being here in Houston. Um, I, I think that's going to pay, pay dividends for the Texans organization. And as far as the, the scheme that they're actually going to run, I mean, there's a lot of new faces on the offensive side of the ball and, and on the coaching staff and some guys that have been retained and not all of them have necessarily coached and utilized the same scheme in the NFL. So what they're actually going to do, I don't think we're going to really find that out until, you know, week one, week two in the, in, in the, in the season. And so that's something that you can use to your advantage because, um, you know, teams are not going to necessarily know exactly what to prepare for. I don't know how much stock you can really put into the preseason, especially since you're, you're getting rid of games and, and guys are, you know, you're really you're very vanilla in the preseason, but it'll be interesting to see, is this, is this a, a David Cully thing? You know, David Cully being the head coach, but coming from the Baltimore Ravens and coming from the Kansas City Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles, is this more of an Andy Reid type of deal? Or is it, you know, you got Pep Hamilton as the quarterback's coach that came from um, the Chargers and he's with Anthony Lynn. Is he you're doing those type of things, been in Buffalo before? Like there's, there's a lot of, uh, excuse me, not Buffalo before that was, uh, that was David Cully, but he's, he's been in various spots before where he didn't utilize what Tim Kelly, who is the offensive coordinator has done here for the past few years with Bill O'Brien. So um, it'll be interesting to see how everything comes together and what kind of line of thinking they, they utilize going forward. But I think James Kemp and being an offensive line coach, that's kind of a solidifying force um, up front. And so guys can get all on the same page. And that's the biggest thing with offensive line like, can we get everybody on the same page, doing the same things, understanding what the, what the expectations are of one another? And if you can do that, then you can have a, a great opportunity to have success. Yeah, and it's pretty cool that Campen and, and Pep worked together with the Chargers last year. So a little bit of continuity for the two of them having had worked together in the past. 
Uh, we talk about Nick Casario. He made over 70 moves this offseason, brought in a lot of players. And I thought it was really interesting in his press conference when he was asked about uh, position groups and positions of need that just because you've got all these offensive linemen are so many defensive backs on the roster doesn't necessarily preclude the Texans from drafting at that position um, in, in the draft. So, so what are your thoughts on that? You know, with, with all the position groups on the roster and creating that competition, does it really change who you think the Texans might be looking for in this year's draft? I think a lot of people are saying defense because Levy, Levy Smith brings in a, a new scheme, but what about your thoughts? I want to know what, what do you think the Texans are going to do in this year's draft? Well, I, I look at it like this. It's, it's a situation now that there's so many new faces and there's so many guys that are playing under short-term contracts that have just been brought into the building. And um, I don't, I don't think that they're going to specialize or, or focus on one particular thing. I think they're going to try to find as much value as they can in, in the draft as possible. So if they have got, they're going to rate everybody. And, and once the, the draft board gets put up there and they're going to see, uh, you know, there's going to be certain guys that are going to fall in the draft. It happens every year. I don't think that they're beholden to any particular people or position groups. And so I think they're going to try to find value. They're going to try to find a guy that a guy like Justin Reed, that you thought would have been a late first round pick or early second round pick that you end up drafting in the third round. That's great value. So I, I feel like they're going to try to find guys like that and, Whatever position group that is, I think is going to be determined by the guy that end up the guys that end up dropping in the draft. If it's a quarterback, if it's a wide receiver, it's a tight end, whatever it may be. I don't see a position group on a team that I say, you know what, that position group is completely solidified. You know, you don't you don't want to add any pieces there. You want to try to add value wherever you can. So I I think that that's what the line of thinking is going to be um, with the organization and, and we'll see what that, what shakes out from that and how much moving and shaking goes on in the draft. I'll be interested to see that because what I've seen from Nick Casario and, and, and what is in his time with the Patriots, those guys do a lot of moving in the draft, um, moving down, moving up to get particular guys that they like. And so I would, I would expect that you would see some of the same things here, especially since, uh, the Texans first pick is not into the third round. Yeah, so no clear-cut predictions from Wade Smith on any positions in particular that the Texans are dropping. No, that, am I getting that right? That's exactly right because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to – I look at the roster and I don't say to myself, you know what, they got to get a DB. You know what, they got to get a wide receiver. You know what, they got to get this or that. Like they've brought in so many veteran guys at all these different spots that are under reasonable contracts that it, the difference between what you're paying a rookie in that spot and paying the veteran guy is 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 – functionally it's it's not that big of a deal and so I could see them sticking with a lot of the guys that they brought in that they're going to be seeing over uh the next few you know that they've already been starting with the offseason program and 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 going that route I just think value value is the most important thing in this draft and I think that's kind of the line of thinking of, of Nick Casario anyway just from everything that I've heard and and seen about him is that you know, he's going to try to find, find value everywhere he can anywhere he can and so what position group that will be it's whoever drops. And, and maybe my prediction will be what position group that tends to have guys drop. Um, I'll, I'll say DBs, just mm. like Justin Reed. Like DBs, will, for some you know, for some reason or, or another, you'll find a, a DB that'll drop, drop in a draft, a guy like Ty Matthew, Justin Reed, guys that, that should have been drafted much higher and they ended up falling. Well, because they're going to pick, quarterbacks get picked early all the time. You know, offensive linemen, get picked early because once they run out, you, you know, the chances of you getting a really good one 
I think drops tremendously. So I'll go DB just because those guys tend to drop more than other, and, and maybe a running back. Running backs tend to drop too. Yeah, John Harris, via John Harris, he does says, say that there are a lot of running backs um, in this draft, a lot of depth at that position. Uh, let's talk about the draft process because this one has been um, so unique. Even last year with the pandemic, uh, the players still were able to go through a centralized NFL combine. That's something that didn't happen this year. So it plays so much more importance on the pro days. And then only three representatives from each team were allowed to go to the pro days. You couldn't do one-on-ones with each player. You had to do them via Zoom. What are your thoughts on that? You know, is it is it an advantage for players? Is it a disadvantage that they get to do everything at the pro day? How does how do you think that will change player evaluations this year and, and how players approach the draft process? I think it just shows it gives guys opportunities to show how easily and how quickly they can adapt to um, unforeseen situations, things that you can't control. That's part of being an NFL player is are you able to adapt and, and adjust to to things that you can't control? And so guys that are able to do that, well, I think that'll pay off for them um, when, you, when you're slotting guys on a draft or determine, okay, how did this guy react to this situation? Um, because if, if you're able to handle adversity, if you're, if you're able to, to adjust on the fly, the chances are, you, you know, you're going to be able to translate that on the field. And that's the type of guys that NFL teams need. You need guys that are going to be able to be flexible and guys that are going to be able to adjust on the fly. And so there's going to be players out there that because of this change, they're going to they're going to take advantage of it and they're going to get drafted higher than they would have if things were standard the way they used to be. It's going to be other guys that um, because of the the. The, the nuances and the new the changes that they're not used to and getting out of the routine, they may drop a little bit on the board. At the same time, once you get into the league, once you get your opportunities, that's when you're going to determine what your fate is going to be as an NFL player. I mean, you can start slow. I mean, the, the thing about it is, is the higher you drafted, the kind of the more opportunities, the more margin for error that you have uh, to, 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 to stick in this league. And, and the lower you get drafted or if you go undrafted, in your margin for error and your opportunities to, to make mistakes kind of, it, it shrinks a little bit, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, the guys that take advantage of the opportunities that are put in front of them and, and maybe they're, they're doing their pro bowl, their pro uh, pro day at their own school. Hey, you're in this comfortable situation. You're, you're running on some turf that you've been running on for the past three, four, five years in your career. You can take advantage of that deal. Some, some guys get into, um, a pressure pack situation like the combine. And I personally, I didn't think the combine was a pressure pack situation, but you know, some guys kind of feel that pressure. And so when that pressure comes, how do you react to it? How do you respond to it? That's why the combine is something that a lot of the coaches really enjoy and the scouts enjoy because you want to see how guys compete against one another when, you know, you got a guy from cat, from Cal university. And then there's another guy from, from BYU. And there's another guy from, um, Appalachian State or from the University of Memphis, wherever it may be, you got these guys from all over the country coming to one spot and competing um, in, in various drills, competing in the, in the, on, the, on the bench press and the 40 and, and the interviews and all the things that goes along with the, the combine. Um, you know, there's, there's guys that thrive in those situations. There's guys that don't. And that's the great thing about the NFL, man. You, you can figure out pretty quickly if you're going to be, if you're built for this and if you're not in you know, the ones that, that, that can't cut it, they end up falling to the wayside. And the ones that, that do have uh, really long careers, um, barring injury. And so 
I'm excited to see how these guys deal with it. Fortunately for these, 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 this set of rookies, um, they've, they've kind of had a head start on it than the ones last year. Cause the guys last year, there was just, it just dropped on everybody out of the blue, you know, March is when everything kind of shut down. And then a month later you got the draft coming. And so I'm sure, you know, a lot of guys had to adjust that on the fly, but I think the coaches are going to be better prepared. I think the scouts are going to be better prepared because they had the, the, the experience from what happened last year. And so they'll, they'll figure out ways to, to, to get the best out of the guys and, and, and be able to slot them where they need to be slotted and then and pick the guys that are available to them on the draft. Yeah, it's a good point because last year we had seen some of the pro days take place and then half of them got canceled and it just was every, you know, there, it was just right in the middle for some players like who were waiting to do stuff on their pro day and, and things just didn't get scheduled the way that they were able to this year because we had a heads up about COVID and, and how uh, to go about doing these pro days. I, I want to ask you, cause you're a third round draft pick in 2003. If you were going through this draft process this year, do you think you would have gone higher or lower? Oh, that's a great question. I, I probably would have went lower because you think so. Yeah, the reason why I say that is because when I went to the combine, which they didn't have this year, I went to the combine and I and I and I did an excellent job. Like I got mm. around. I went to University of Memphis, only played offensive line for two years, um, and so you know the film that scouts have on you. There might be a handful of games that they say, "All right, this is good tape to watch because he's playing against NFL caliber players." Um, but when I went to the combine, you know, I'm around, you know, Jonathan Stinchcomb from Georgia. I'm around, um, you know, Steinbeck and Jordan Gross and all these guys from all over the, the country that went to these bigger schools. And they say, well, this dude, he, he's just as athletic as, as some of these guys, if not more. Um, his upside is tremendous. I, I, I like what I see out of him. I like how his interviews are going um, and how he's reacting amongst all these guys that he necessarily wouldn't would see or be with um, on a day-to-day -day basis at his, at his university. So I think that might've hurt me. I think it, it, I think it hurt guys last year that came from smaller schools or, or didn't have opportunity to do things like uh, the senior, I think the senior bowl took place last year, but just the, mm -hmm. the various um, opportunities to get together with guys that you're not normally around. I think that probably, it probably would have ended up hurting me. But um, at the end of the day, I don't care if I would have got drafted in the first round or if I got drafted in the seventh round or went undrafted at all. When I showed up at training camp, how did I work? How would I work? Those are the things that are going to be the determining factor if you last in this league because it's one thing to get drafted. It's one thing to get an opportunity. That's 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 great. That's awesome. But can you can you be a lasting presence in this league? Can you excel in this league? Um, those things are, are are done by, you know, the hard work and, and dedication that you put in on a day to day basis, learning how to be a pro, figuring out um, how to navigate being um, a professional athlete. And so um, at the end of the day, maybe I would have started a little bit lower down the line. But at the end of the day, I think I still would have had a similar career because um, those those things that um, aren't determined by your draft status um, are the things that carry you um, throughout your career. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting note to make. Once you're drafted by a team, your your work ethic is your work ethic. You're only going to work yeah. as hard as you're going to work, and it doesn't really even matter where you're drafted. But uh, looking back on your draft experience, um, now that you know what you know and you've played in the league all these years, uh, and now you've been out of it, you've probably had some time to reflect. Is is there anything that you would do differently in preparing for the draft that you that you wish that you had done back then? Preparing for the draft, I'd say I'd say no. Not pre my preparation for the draft, I thought went really well. I went from a guy that was supposed to be 
um, undrafted or seventh round guy to getting drafted in the third round and in, in an in organization trading picks to get me. Um, I, I think if I could go back and tell myself anything around that draft time is that um, I, I think I, I got my attitude as a, as an NFL player, like, um, and I, I really can't say the term I want to say because, you know, this is, you know, there's some sure there's kids watching. For radio and TV. Yes. Uh-huh. I get TV. your drift. Yeah. But I, I, I kind of, I can't, I kind of got my, um, my edge later in my career, probably like three, four years into the career where I really started playing the game with an edge and playing the game with kind of a mentality of, um, you know, whatever it takes to get it done, I'm going to get it done. And, and how how protective you are of the guys around you and the guys next to you. And, and maybe I needed to to taste a little bit of adversity in order to 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 get to that point. And there's one thing of saying, you know, hey, I'm going to finish blocks, and there's another thing saying I'm going to I'm going to make that grown man move where he doesn't want to move and he can't do anything about it. Like I would have I would have said. Be, be meaner sooner. You know what I mean? Because I came into the league, yeah. I came into the league kind of wide-eyed, just trying to learn and just do what I was coached to do. And there's 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 something to be said for that, that that will sustain you. But then when you get to that stage of, all right, I know what I, I'm supposed to do. Now, how am I going to do it? How, how what, what finishing emphasis am I going to do in the things that when I get my opportunities on the field? And so, I'd probably go back and tell myself that, but as far as draft preparation, I thought I did well, man. I had uh, um, Dean Lotz, uh, rest in peace. He he was my um, trainer back in Memphis that got me prepared for the draft. Him and Harry Shute and those two guys, uh, they they did a tremendous job and got me prepared. Prepared, and so I went into training camp in great shape. Um, I went into training camp. Uh, um, my technique was pretty dang good for a rookie. And so I ended up starting every game my rookie year in the NFL. So I think the draft prep went, went, went really well. Man, I can't get enough of Wade Smith talking with DP Sidhu. But if you want more, go to our podcast page, HoustonTexas.com. Go check out the podcast, Deep Slant. Check out In the Lab as well. And also Vandermeer's View. If you want to hear the full Deep Slant podcast, DP Sidhu with Wade Smith. All right, we get back. We'll go around the NFL Kyle Shanahan had a little weird way of saying what they might do on Thursday at number three. It was a little strange, but we'll get to that next right here on Texas All Access. Here on Texas All Access. Here on Texas All Access. Welcome back, everybody. It's Monday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, the mobile version. I am your host, John Harris. On draft week, and of course, as we go around the NFL, the draft truly starts at number three, unless there is a massive breaking ball, curveball, at pick number two with the Jets, which you don't see. It feels like Jags, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, number two, the Jets. Fade accompli, let's get to number three and see what happens. Well, the 49ers held a press conference today. That was a few hours after Ian Rappaport, NFL Network, said that the 49ers were internally debating Trey Lance versus Mac Jones at number three, which obviously they're going to take a quarterback, you know, move all that way up and not take a quarterback. And then again, it's Kyle Shanahan. John Lynch said later, I will defer to what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. That is a head coach driven system. Even with the GM 49ers, like a number of places have a head coach driven system. Shanahan will make the final call. Apparently 
So Kai Shanahan was asked about Jimmy Garoppolo. And someone asked from the San Francisco media, can you guarantee that Jimmy Garoppolo will be on the roster Sunday? And Kyle Shanahan said, and I quote, I can't guarantee that anybody in the world will be alive Sunday. Hey, uh, uh, what? <laughs> he just went, didn't see the answer coming at all. Didn't see it coming at all. But Shanahan went a little bit further into Garoppolo a little bit later in his press conference. And he said, look, it's the injuries. The injuries have been an issue. We just don't know how much we can rely on Jimmy, essentially. I'm paraphrasing what he said. That they like Jimmy, but they just can't get there because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He got there in 2017. He got there in 2017. He played the last six or seven games. Got the 49er fan base in a tizzy because he was so good down the stretch. First or second game of 18, tears his ACL. 19 comes back, gets him to a Super Bowl last year. Same thing, injuries, a problem. And therefore, not able to grow. I mean, if you get there, as he did in 2017, and with Kyle, they go, you know, what, 6-0, 6-1 with him down the stretch. And you're like, okay, build on that. And build on it again. And build on it again. Okay, well, the 49ers, first of all, aren't picking 12 where they can move up and go to 3 they're down in the 20s after consecutive playoff runs, but they just haven't gotten there with Jimmy, as Kyle Shanahan said, uh, because of the injuries. Now, hopefully, we'll all be here on Sunday. Hopefully, we'll all be here on Sunday. But Kyle Shanahan, with kind of a dark little moment during his, his press conference today, and I don't know that it calmed the waters at all for anybody. I think 49ers fans are fearful of Mac Jones. And, I, you know, I've, I, I have Mac at number 31 in my Harris 100. I have every other quarterback, 1, 5, 7, and 10. I just think there's a, there's a big delta between them and Mac. But I totally and completely understand why a team would want Mac Jones as a quarterback. If you said to me, look, the Texans are going to trade into the, I don't know, teens and they're gonna draft Mac Jones I'd be like whoa all right um okay first of all I'd want to know what the the draft deal was but I'd be like okay yeah I, I think I can get there um on, on Mac Jones I just have the thought that if I'm gonna make the pick I want the guy with the higher ceiling and you move up for the guy for the higher ceiling so we'll see all of this could potentially mean that Justin Fields maybe drops. And if he drops into the Patriots' hands, then shame on all of you in the NFL. Do not let that happen. There's also, of course, a rumor about Jordan Love, who was drafted last year with the Packers, going to the Patriots. But it'll all ferret itself out over the next 72 hours. And the draft is on Thursday. Cannot wait. We will see you guys tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Big thanks to Mark, to DP, to Wade, to all of you guys. Joanna back in studio. Y'all the best. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.